Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, Kitchen Loco Parentis. Pablo brings the case against his wife, Deanna. They allow their two-year-old daughter, Mati, to help out in the kitchen by mixing, pouring, and preparing food. But they can't agree on how much responsibility is too much. Should a toddler be let loose in a kitchen? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. All that Cyril Farrell had taught her went racing through her head, swift as a deer, quiet as a shadow, fear cuts deeper than swords. Quick as a snake, calm as still water, fear cuts deeper than swords. Strong as a bear, fierce as a wolverine, fear cuts deeper than swords. That man who fears losing has already lost. Fear cuts deeper than swords. Fear cuts deeper than swords. Fear cuts deeper than swords. Bailiff Jesse, swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? Yes. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he lives in a box and doesn't eat, rather getting his nutrients from the air? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Very well, Judge Hodgman. Please do not mock my lifestyle as a box Aryan. It is making me very slender and my bones very brittle. (laughs) Pablo and Diana, you may be seated for an immediate summary judgment in your favor. Can either of you name the piece of culture that I referenced as I entered the courtroom? Pablo? No. 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 Now, we, we reach you in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Is that correct? Yes. And, uh, and am I pronouncing that correctly? You pronounce it pretty well. Surprising. Yeah, yes. Surprising Thank you. Uh, you're you're uh, de nada. And do you uh, receive the television program uh, Game of Thrones in Bogota? Yes, but um, yeah. Yeah, but um, we haven't really started watching it. We're saving it for when Mati turns five, I guess. <laughs> that would be appropriate. <laughs> yeah, that is actually <laughs> that 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 is actually uh, not from the TV show Game of Thrones, but from the original text of George R. R. Martin's book, A Game of Thrones, or Un Juego de Tronos. Uh, as you might say mm-hmm. in Bogota, yeah. maybe. And uh, of oh, course, yeah, yeah, you can get the books. Okay, well, why don't you get them and read them, and then you will know that I was quoting from a Game of Thrones from one of uh, Arya's point of view chapters when she's remembering the training that was given to her by Cyria Forel in swordsmanship, or in this case, swordswomanship, or in this case, swords little girlship. Because Arya is but a child when she learns sorting, which is the proper term for fencing. And this case revolves around whether or not you are going to arm your daughter with knife weapon. Uh, how old is your daughter, Pablo? She's two. And her name two is Mark. Two years and three months, and that is a distinction that you are making, Diana, because you want to give her knives as soon as possible. But Pablo, you're bringing in the case, so I'm going to let you have first say. 
Now, your daughter's name is Mar- Marty or Marty? No, her, her actual name is Matilde. Matilde. Uh, we just call her Mati. Mati. Mati, excuse me. Matilde Mati. Be- beautiful name. Have you have you seen have you seen have you seen the Broadway production of Matilda on Broadway? That, have that has that come to Bogota? Not yet. All right, I'm no, going to be. I'm, it hasn't come to Bogota. I'm, I'm going to be in the touring production of that. I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in the Spanish language touring production of Matilde as the as the as the trunchable. But meanwhile, I'm your judge. <laughs> oh, also, you, you have the pronunciation skills. I, I phonetically, I learned, I learned, I learned Spanish phonetically. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm like a, <laughs> I'm like a trained monkey uh, when it comes to languages, I'm afraid. But um, uh, uh, you also, but you guys speak uh, obviously uh, perfect English. You say you spent some time in Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of my, my birth. Is that correct? Yes. We spent, uh, we lived there for four years. In Worcester, Massachusetts. In Worcester, I'm so sorry to hear that. What were why of all the of all the towns and cities in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts? Would you would you were you working for Polar Soda? Uh, are you big Mike Birbiglia fans? <laughs> what and you were there on a pilgrimage? You were looking for the last bottle of Moxie. You were looking for the last bottle of Moxie? Oh yeah, I don't mind. Look, guys, I don't mind Buzz marketing Moxie on my podcast anymore. That company, that company sent me gallons of moxie last time I said something about it, plus about a thousand moxie tattoos and a tintype plate of, of, the, of the moxie guy replacing the accusatory moxie man who points his finger, uh, replacing his face with my face. So listen, moxie, seriously. I'm sorry about this, guys. Justice must wait for commerce as usual. Listen, dudes, if you want to sponsor... This podcast, we're ready to go. I am already giving you this work for free. The first taste is for free. I think that that's that that may be that may be that may be the motto of Moxie. Actually, the first taste is for free. The second taste, we pay you to have. But if you seriously, if you'd like to sponsor the show, we're I'm ready to go. And also in terms of commerce, the Ragnarok Survival Kit featuring the survival mayonnaise. Uh, the urine flask, the complete extended DVD of John Hodgman Ragnarok, and all sorts of other good. Oh, and the non-ironic unisex cologne, uh, sperm whale by John Hodgman, is available at uh, bit.ly slash survive Ragnarok. But back to your daughter, because this is a non-commercial broadcast. So Mati is two, <laughs> Matilde is two, and and Pablo, what is the problem? Your wife wants to give her sabers and swords? Yeah, basically. I mean, she wants to... We, we like to cook with Matty, um, especially my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, she wants to give her knives to cut things. And I think she's too young for it. Diana, why are you giving a two-year-old knives? How many knives at a time are you giving her? <laughs> like double katanas? Yeah, double katanas? Just, you know, a simple table knife that doesn't even count like a knife knife for me. Oh, a table knife. And she's cutting, I don't know, cooked broccoli and, and mushrooms. Diana, do you do you cook for the most part in the house? Yes. All right. First no. of all, if you if you are if you are able to cut broccoli with a with a dull table knife, you're overcooking your broccoli. So just word to the wise. <laughs> maybe if you're cooking yeah, you me, Judge. Maybe if you're cooking a broccoli for a baby, for a two year old daughter, <laughs> maybe. You can serve her that kind of mushy broccoli that she can cut with a dull knife. 
and so you guys, you cook together, you and Mati. Does Pablo do any of the cooking or does he just sit around and question your motives? <laughs> no, I, I, help, I help sometimes. It's just that um, they usually, sometimes they cook at night. And uh, I, for the most part of the week, I spend the afternoons with Mati. Mm-hmm. So when Diana gets back from work, I usually like just go to the computer to you know, send emails and sure, stuff check that I out. haven't been able to do during the afternoon. Check out all your favorite podcasts, order your Ragnarok survival kits at bit.ly slash survive Ragnarok. I understand. What what are you what are you not doing all day long? What is your profession? I am a, I do comics. I write comics and I am also I have a small publisher. You are a small publishing company or you have a small publisher for your comics? I am a yeah a small publishing company. Oh, okay. And you publish comics in Colombia? Yep. Oh, and and I presume in this in the Spanish language is correct? Yeah. And what kind of comics are you yeah, so, so far? Do you write these and illustrate or do you just write them? I I've, I've worked as a writer for some time now. I don't need your whole, uh, I don't need your whole resume. Publish- do you write comics or draw comics? I write them. All right. And but you, I also edit them. And you edit them, which is more fun than writing, obviously, because you don't have to do the work. You just tell people what to do. It's like having a judge podcast. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you endured a lot of Ragnarok, bit.ly slash survive Ragnarok uh, uh, plugging. What's the name of your company? And, and are your comics available in the United States or only in Bogota? The, the company's called Brewbot. And uh, no... I mean, they're they're not available in the U.S. So what is it? What is it called again? Editorial Robot. Okay. Which is basically like robot publisher. Robot. Robot is how we say it in the United States. Robot. (laughs) Right. Uh, And are they are they are they are they all about the comics? All about robots or superheroes or people having life experiences? Autobiographical, political. Tell me a little bit more. Uh, I just gotta, I just gotta fill this out until I tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we do mostly graphic novels, right? And uh, we also have a line for of comics for children, right? Uh, but we don't do superheroes, and the stuff I write is a little bit more political. Now, let me ask you: your comics, your comics for children, are they printed on paper? Oh my! But the children might cut themselves on the pieces of paper. How dare you? That's pretty thin paper. <laughs> All right. What is your what is your complaint? Paper. Look, it sounds to me like your 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 wife Diana and your daughter Matilda are having a wonderful bonding experience cooking food that you're going to eat while you're checking your email and they're having the bonding experience as your daughter emulates your wife by by pr- essentially play cutting up incredibly soft broccoli with a dull knife. <laughs> what is your complaint? I don't think the the knife is that dull. I think it's potentially dangerous mm-hmm. uh, because uh, Diana has this very intense way of cooking. So she's not only focused on uh, what Mati is doing; she's also paying attention to uh, something that's you know, something that's boiling or getting something out of the fridge. So I think it's potentially dangerous. But aside from that, uh, there's also the fact that I think. It's important to sort of set up certain rules in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there must be some things that only grown-ups can do, and I think uh, that we sort of have to agree on that. Um, 
so yeah, I think it's not it's not okay to do it at this moment of her life. And uh, I respect that bonding bonding experience. Uh, sometimes I participate, but I think the knife is just too much. They can bond doing other things. There's a ton of stuff to do in the in the kitchen to do while cooking. Um, so let's just look for something else until she turns uh, the right age. Like what what other what other things could 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 she do? Like have fun standing at a safe distance. <laughs> she could mix. She likes to pour in salt or put in water. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does know, it already. Yeah, yeah, and she, she does, does a, okay. a lot of things, and she she really likes it. Uh, it's, it's just that I think that. All right, um, I, I I think I understand your point. It's the it's the knife work itself that you are concerned about, and not yeah, merely and not the, merely because uh, it is intrinsically dangerous, but because you think that the because it's a it's a it's a gateway drug to more dangerous knife work. <laughs> Do you think she'll be traveling with a circus potentially? Yeah, the butter, the the the, the dull table <laughs> knife is a is a gate is a gateway knife to the deadly sigh. I believe that I believe that you sent in some evidence, Pablo. You took a photograph of of your knife, which is, I think, probably the yes. most productive thing a small comic book publisher has ever done. And you sent it in by email to me. <laughs> And here it is. I'm opening it. We'll put this on the blog. Obviously, this looks like a pretty typical Colombian household uh, table knife with a very light serrated yeah. edge. Yeah, with a and a and a rounded, a rounded, uh, a rounded point. And um, you know about about what you'd see. I wouldn't want to spread butter with it, but I could cut up some soft broccoli with it for sure. And this is probably I can't see it to scale, but it's probably a normal size, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, Uh, uh, Excuse me. I'm talking. Excuse me. Excuse me. I will have, I will have order. (laughs) Deanna, what kind of food do you cook? I'm sorry about, I insulted your broccoli. Now now you can tell, you can tell me what kind of food you can cook and, 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 and give me three dishes. And with each dish uh, rank from zero to 10, where zero is most safe and unintense and 10 is most reckless and intense. Of the activity it takes to cook it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I cook all sorts of things. Um, and 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 tell me about things that you frying. would be. Tell me about things you would be cooking with Mati. Do you do deep frying with with Matilda in the kitchen? When no, I I will ask Paolo to please keep her out of the kitchen while I do that because I, I get that it's not now, not okay. Right, now let me let me let me ask you to um, pause. Let me ask you to pause right there, Pablo. Obviously your wife figured out that I would not approve of your daughter being in the kitchen when she was deep frying and changed her answer. Right. I mean, she must, she does do, do deep frying when your daughter's in the kitchen, right? She was just lying. Right. Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. She, was she, what, no, 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 no. I don't want you to go on another thing. Was, okay. was your wife telling right. the truth when she, when she anticipated my judgment and when she said, I asked Pablo to keep Mati out of the kitchen when I'm deep frying. Is that a true or a false statement? It is true. All right. Well, That's all. All right. Well, um, Pablo, Pablo, sort of- Pablo, you're going to get a fair, okay, you're going to, you're going to get a fair hearing. I just needed to ascertain whether or not your, your wife is a liar. All right. I apologize, Deanna. Uh, Deanna, so you were going to do didn't th- technically lie. Oh, well, she didn't technically lie. In what way did she technically, in what way did she non-technically lie? Um, 
because this is the way it sort of works out. She um, she's she's not thinking of okay, I'm going, I'm going to cook this. She's always she's very creative in cooking. She's amazing. She's great at that. But uh, so she would say, okay, so we should try this, and she would go ahead and sort of start setting everything up, and then she would think, oh wait, Mati is here, so I should call Pablo, and uh, and he has to run to the kitchen to get Mati out before she starts deep frying. So it's technically true, but the way it sort of works out, it's uh, it's very rushed. Do, do, first of all, specificity is the soul of narrative. Deanna, what, what are you deep frying? Well, we don't deep fry every single time, but I was thinking of, you know, sometimes I do that. I'm not afraid of deep frying. No, we, nor am I. I want to hear more about it as soon as possible. What do you deep fry? Plantains. Plantains. I want to eat them now. Good. Yeah. Could you make us some plantains, please? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I'll send them your way. <laughs> she will. She will. All right. What what else do you, but you don't you don't invite your daughter to, to toss to toss uh smashed plantains into the into the hot oil. No, no, no. We usually cook, I don't know, pasta together. She's not putting the pasta in the boiling water, of course, but she's I don't know, cutting the mushrooms uh for doing the sauce. Right. Um and you know, she and you appreciate some... she's she's doing a terrible job. <laughs> she does a great job. That's the thing. She has the skills, and I'm, I think that I'm teaching her, you know, something for life. It's not just you know about the cooking. Is that she's learning us in the story um, in the lines from the Game of Thrones. She's learning, you know, very important stuff. What are the things? What oh, are the? Another... Excuse me, Pablo. I'm speaking to your wife now. Seriously, if you keep interrupting, I'm going to find in her favor before even pretending to listen to your side of this case. <laughs> so, if you would like your mock trial to stand, you will be quiet for a moment. What are the what What are the skills? What are the knife? What are the knife skills you are teaching her? And then take it one more direction. What are the <laughs> life skills you're teaching her? One knife skill. One life skill. <laughs> uh Cooking. I think cooking is, is very important. And, you know, just having that relationship with food, I think it's important. I learned to cook with my grandma and with my mom. And that's, you know, how I, I pretty much, I don't know, I, I really appreciate those moments with them. And we still cook together and I really like that. So I feel like, okay, it's something nice for her to learn and something that will be very useful, like at least twice a day, I think. She will have to cook her, me her meal. So I think that's, that's something good to know. Well, all right. But listen, you did very good on the life skill aspect of that question. Now I want to narrow, I want to home in, not hone in, Okay, because that would be a, a, a misuse of the word and a terrible knife pun. I want to home in on this one <laughs> part of the question. What specific instructions about safety or artistry are you giving to your daughter about using that knife? Um, she definitely knows how to grab the knife, you know, like steadily and, and you firmly you grab that, that part of the knife. That could be useful. Well, she has the fine motor skills of a two-year-old. She can she can grab things and put it in her mouth. She can uh, she can she can she can begin to start putting blocks on top of one another. I don't doubt that she can naturally grab a knife. What instructions are you giving to her about using knives safely? Okay, um, <laughs> that's a good question. She definitely knows she can put the knife in her mouth. 
she knows that next cut. I've been telling that to her a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows that I, I help her hold whatever she's cutting. She's not like, you know, mm-hmm. like a crazy little girl just cutting everything. No, I'm holding whatever she's cutting. And and she, Wait, she knows well, that I, I just need that. to stop you there. Um, so I just need to interrupt you so that I'm, I'm sure that I understand. She knows to hold whatever she's cutting? Like we together hold whatever she's cutting. Like she holds one part of the broccoli, I hold the other part, and she cuts. Mm, she knows that you cannot point the, the knife to somebody that is in the, in the kitchen. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, good. All right, Pablo, thank you, by the way. Wait, wait, let me, just for a point of clarity, what part of the broccoli are you holding and what part of the broccoli is she holding? And then how does the knife fit in? <laughs> I she holds the stem mm-hmm. and I hold the, the flowery more flower part mm-hmm. the floret and and we the floret thank you and how do you and, keep and it from just she, disintegrating in your fingertips into mush because it's so overcooked it's not overcooked <laughs> okay the knife is serrated <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but don't you understand that the more you argue that this knife has true cutting power the more likely I'm able to I'm going to find in favor of your husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm afraid too that Matisse a very, very good. I don't know. She's very good at, at fine motor skills. Like she can do other stuff that is. I don't. I don't know. You don't it's, have to throw really fine like, motor skills back at me. I just said that. You're just imitating what I say in order to curry favor, like uh, like a like a toddler yourself, madam. Please stand by while I speak to your husband, Pablo. Do you feel that your wife is not giving sufficient supervision to your daughter when she uses this dull knife? I, I think we should be clear on 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 what on, on there are certain things that she's not ready to do, and that's it. That's it's it's not that big a deal. She's going to be a child for you know a decade, and uh, we'll have enough time to cook with her, and she'll have enough time to cook with a table knife or a table knife or. Have, you know, have there it's, been? It's, have there been? I understand your point. Have there been any close calls? Oh no! So far, no. Do you Not also? I, I can think. I mean, they haven't really done it that much because she's very young. I mean, even I think before it would have been unthinkable for her to do that. Like you mean, maybe you mean six when, months ago. <laughs> you mean when she was a, a three-month-old? Yeah, that would not be a good time to handle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. well, I, I, look, to this, to look. I, I have, I have, I have children. I have human children, as you know. Um, who more, uh, more and more are becoming less like children and more like weird animals that are living in my house who kick me all the time. <laughs> They're kick animals. You know what I mean? I don't know what the word is in Spanish for that kick animals, but to, to, so it's you hard only for know me, the Portuguese it's, judge Hodgman. <laughs> it's hard for me to remember precisely what a two-year-old is like, but I have, I have friends. So I was thinking back to my, my friend, John, whose, whose two-year-old daughter was hanging around recently. And I was trying to picture her with a knife and it's, it's on the cusp. Do you disapprove of kitchen toy kitchen sets with knives? No, no, I think they're, they're, they're fine. As long as, um, no, I think they're, they're fine. I think those are fine because those are clearly marked as, something that is different from the real thing. Can you cut anything with those um, knives? Can you cut a, could you cut a mushroom with one of those knives? You would have to work it really hard to make it cut. But mm-hmm. the, yeah, it wouldn't, 
maybe you wouldn't leave the mushroom eat, it, it, the mushroom would not be eatable after you're done with with, mm-hmm. with you know trying to cut it with that knife sorry mm-hmm. my, my english is failing sorry no it's it's, it's um, you're doing a, you're doing a wonderful job <laughs> thanks um <laughs> uh, yeah but because it, it bothers me that it's uh that it is an actual knife well there, there's this thing about diana that she she um she's very concerned about safety on a regular basis but sometimes she gets really excited because uh, for her uh, allowing mati to discover new things is very important as it should be but uh sometimes she would you know not balance well the relation between safety and you know the ability of, of discovering something new so I think this is part of it. Like she's very excited about letting Mati discover something else, like a new skill in the kitchen or wherever. Um, but it's not, I don't think it is safe at this moment. Just let's wait a little bit. If you weren't so busy with your emailing and your comic books all, and everything else and you were there, would you do a better job of supervising your daughter cutting up a piece of broccoli? I know. I don't think I would be. And, and maybe that's another point. Like, I want to share that bonding experience. And I feel if I'm not you, confident... You mean you want to le- learn how to cut up a piece of broccoli? <laughs> no, that, that I, would not, I wouldn't you do wanna a good job. You want to hold the stem while your wife holds the floret and you cut it in half? Judge Hodgman, don't be so flippant. It really is something special to learn how to cut a perfectly cooked piece of broccoli with a butter knife. <laughs> There has to be something in the wrist or something. I honestly can't even picture how you would do it. <laughs> um, so when would be a, a reasonable age for your daughter, according to you, to start doing, let's say, this activity? This activity? Uh, um, the particular activity of cutting overcooked broccoli? <laughs> let's let's yeah. wait until she turns three. Well, you know what? Until she turns three, that's like two days from now. <laughs> Why are you wasting this court's time? Well, it's 10 months from now. <laughs> 10 months from now is two days from now. I don't know. What time zone are you in in Colombia? <laughs> is that central time? It is uh, it's the same time as uh, as Massachusetts when it's not in, right. the, oh, it's in the winter time. It's yeah, no, it's you don't have to brag. Just asking about the time zone, okay? We're talking about longitude right now, not latitude. I don't need your latitude right now, dude. <laughs> My terrible okay. pun for the year. The worst. You got a bad latitude. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. It's, it's going to be three in, any, in any, any minute now. So the difference between your wife being a good mother and your wife being a bad mother is 10 months. <laughs> I mean, nine months. Yeah, it's nine months. Sorry. I mean, you could say that it's it, this is sort of a standard that I think should be kept for other types of decisions. Um, Please. Where I think you you have to wait in whether it's safe to um, do something to allow her to do something that, that can be potentially dangerous. And I know that's uh, a central part of parenting where you always have to sort of think about that and balance that and deal with that. Um, But I think that it's important for both of us to feel okay about it. 
And it's important for both of us to sort of make that decision, not just do it automatically on the go. As the judge. Yes, I'm ready to I'm ready to hear your final words, uh, Diana. Um I guess in general, Paolo always thinks that things are gonna fail, that you know, that everything is gonna go wrong. And I feel that that's also part of, of, of this, that he thinks that he thinks, oh, this could happen and this can happen and this is gonna be a problem. And I just think that it's gonna be okay most of the time. Um I don't know. I think Mati is also able to cut at this time. She has the, the skills, she's interested, she's doing a great job, she hasn't cut herself and I don't know. I think that we have fun and fun sometimes is scary, but it's okay. Well you're having fun. I mean Well and, and, and Diana is also paranoid about other things. Um I it's just that are different. I mean she's paranoid about other stuff. Um and when she's being partnered about, I don't know, uh, Mati going to a playground and sort of getting, you know, on one of the little thingies or climbing or doing something, I try to be considerate about her concerns. I try to sort of make sure that she's okay with, with whatever Mati's doing and at the same time sort of allowing Mati to explore that. And that's where I think we're not. I mean, that that, that is something I think should be uh, both in both ways, right? Again, to be specific, can you give me a counterexample of something that you have encouraged in in, in Mati's life that Diana feels is too dangerous or inappropriate, where you have said, you know what, you're right, let me back off. I think it's okay, but if you feel uncomfortable with it, I won't do it. Yeah, when, when Mati was learning how to walk, uh, Diana was very scared of Mati just falling down. And uh, mm-hmm. so she would always hold her hands. And uh, I thought mm-hmm. that Mati needed to be sort of left alone a little bit more. So she would start sort of needing to walk by herself. Uh, mm-hmm. But Diana was very adamant about, I don't want her to hit her head. I don't want, to, I don't want her to fall down. And um, I think I tried to be very considerate about that, about... Sort of okay, so I'm going to be there for Mati, but I'll, I'm also going to try to sort of um, let her go a little bit. Sort of, you know, look for a middle ground. Did your husband let you hold your daughter's hand, or did he tell you? Did he bat you away? He didn't want me to hold her hand. He was all the time like, "Oh, see, you're not letting her walk." I don't know. You weren't that supportive. But you should answer the question. Did, did I let you do it? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes not. Right. And I, 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 look, I disagree with her, but I respect that. Okay? I, I know that she must feel comfortable about doing it. I mean, doing whatever, uh, or doing things in a certain way that she feels comfortable doing them. Um, so I, I think that's... That is sort of what worries me, that I feel like, okay, so should I, I need to have some input on it, on, on mm-hmm. how they're going to, you know, deal, I don't know, safety issues in their kitchen or, I mean, in, in six months, it's going to be something else. In, in <laughs> maybe a week, nice. it's going to be something completely a different. A sharp, bigger night. Right, right. <laughs> 
Okay. I think I've heard everything that I need to hear. I am going to go into my chambers and fry up a big plate of plantains and <laughs> I will burn myself horribly. And during the healing process, I will make my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Pablo, you mentioned that uh, you think this could lead to other things. What do you think is at the end of this path? Um, <laughs> I think I think um, she, she will be sort of uh, baking cakes when she's five. That sounds pretty terrible. <laughs> God, I would hate it. If my son started baking for me, that would be the worst. <laughs> he just showed up with cookies one day. <laughs> that would be horrible. I can't imagine living in a world where my child produced treats without me having to do anything. <laughs> what a grotesque nightmare. I'm not saying you're not going to be delicious, <laughs> uh, but I think uh, it's all about her being a little bit too young to sort of start doing certain things. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree that Diana was, I mean, her, her background, she, she was exposed to cooking earlier than I was. Not too much earlier. <laughs> Is that part of the doesn't know how to cook anything. Hey, I, I, I cook enough. Ramen doesn't count as cooking. It's not only that. Ramen noodles in the microwave doesn't count as cooking. You can't even bring yourself to cook on the stovetop. <laughs> Just eat them on the way there. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know my way around. This is not as creative as Diana. Like, I would always think of the same, like, three dishes. And then, but I don't even mind doing, I don't even mind eating the same thing, you know. Deanna, um, my son and my wife and I toured a preschool uh, where the preschoolers were allowed to prepare their own lunches using not butter knives, but rather real knives. I was very impressed by this, um, but I wasn't sure whether I should send my kid there. Uh, do you have an, an opinion about the matter? We're talking about three, four-year-olds. I didn't know that existed even. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I, I love the idea. But I will have to check the knives, see if they're heavy enough and sharp enough. Because if, if they're not heavy, that's it. If they're not sharp, I mean, that's even worse. You mean like the one that you gave your daughter? Would you say that's the worst of all? <laughs> yeah, you know, when they're not sharp, then you get caught. You need really sharp knives to cut, for example, a tomato. If it is not really sharp, then you get caught. Can Can I ask you a, a follow-up question? Um, would it change your opinion about the preschool that I saw that they had a bunny rabbit and I heard they had a goat, but I didn't see the goat? <laughs> oh, I would love that. <laughs> So, I don't know. Can I say that Matty cooks at her preschool? It's not even, yeah, I think it is a preschool. Um, she's two and her classmates are two, and they cook with these uh, plastic disposable knives. Do you know the ones that come sure. with takeouts? I think those are even more dangerous than mine. Yeah, we, I think both of us, we were kind of concerned about learning and when we learned that. I would rather have my kid cutting, you know, with a real knife. Well, we'll see if your kid will be cutting with a real knife. Uh, we'll be back in just a second with Judge John Hodgman's decision. 
You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2020-24. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. Just a point of clarification as I was listening to the door, Jesse, at your son's preschool or or, or preschool. Prospective preschool. Uh, that you were t- prospective preschool. You were saying that the kids were buttering their bread not with butter knives, but with, with real knives, like with chef knives? They were cooking. Like with cleavers? They were cutting vegetables with full-on chef's knives. Full-on, like an eight-inch chef's knife? I don't remember the... I I didn't bring my ruler, but like actual knives with cutting blades. 
that you would use to cut things? It, it, it's hard to second guess a parent's gut feeling about what is safe and what is not safe. Um, often when we are parenting, the only thing we have to go on uh, is our gut. And a lot of raising kids and helping them to be um, smart and independent and developed is to establish what our gut feeling of safe is and then let the kids go a little bit farther than that. Um, because I think we all parents will naturally have a much more conservative impulse to put the child in into swaddling clothes and then into a hyperbaric chamber and uh, and then uh, d- drape that child uh, with a with a with a with a nice homemade artisan quilt to protect them from all media until they are twenty five. And let me tell you something: we tried that for several years with my daughter, and it did not work at all. Um, <laughs> The the physician called her condition failure to thrive, (laughs) which is actually a diagnosis. My daughter didn't get it, but some friends of ours did. Uh, Their child was having difficulty uh, getting getting nutrients and it was called failure to thrive. And it was so such a grim diagnosis. But he's fine now. He's he's thriving like crazy. And of course, around (laughs) dangerous things, you know, around dangerous things, this is this becomes a, a. the the issue of danger becomes more important. Knives, even even a butter knife with a light serration, even a Colombian butter knife, is dangerous than a <laughs> is more dangerous than a toy knife, uh, or or a piece of paper in a comic book. I mean, these are these are the realities of of objective. Uh, this is objective reality that we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and feel with our skin, right? But the trick is, as Cyril Farrell tells us, we have to not allow our hearts and minds to trick us. Now, it might surprise you to know that I am a supporter of the Second Amendment. I am a huge, huge supporter of consistent and strict uh, gun laws and regulations about ownership of guns. But I have no problem with law-abiding citizens using and handling guns. And I believe, even though I am not in in line with most of what the NRA says, I believe, I will not let my heart and mind trick me out of the reality that exposing children to dangerous things, perhaps the most dangerous thing of all, like guns, right? In a supervised way, okay, at the appropriate age, is one way to keep children from thinking that guns are toys, that's why I don't like toy guns, because guns exist for one reason, to kill and hurt other creatures. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't exist in the world, but you should know the power that you hold in your hand when you use them. So, look, my uh, human daughter is uh, about to be 12 years old. We were given an opportunity to go skeet shooting, which is perhaps the most, you know, the the, the most controlled situation that you can have with a gun. But even then, it's not a particularly controlled situation because it's still a gun. But we were under careful supervision of someone who really knew what they were doing, and they showed us both how to load and discharge that over and under shotgun. And it was um, completely uh, a learning experience for both of us, right? And uh, it was awesome for me and terrifying for my daughter, who will probably never go near a gun again in her life. And it doesn't matter that she's her daughter. My daughter, I think any 12-year-old boy would feel that power and know something new about a gun. And I think, and I've said this in the New York Times uh, magazine, that even someone who is 
against all private gun ownership should learn how a gun operates because you may want to be able to unload a gun the time comes. Knowing things is better than not knowing things. Now, knives are not guns, but I'm just going to put that that aside for a moment and and uh, and then move on to another little story I'm going to tell you about that time uh, when my son was uh, perhaps, I guess, probably seven, six or seven years old. And it was just at that moment when you were feeling as an as a, as the grown up as the parent that you might be able to close your eyes around the child for a moment and give him run of the apartment he's been trained in all of the dangerous things we never really baby proofed our house cuz that seemed like a ridiculous waste of time and energy we showed our children where the dangerous things were and we tried to instruct them as best as possible so that they would develop good uh good uh, common sense on their own and around seven years old, six years old, you start to feel like that child, if it's not a dumb, dumb child, is going to get it. And you can just close your eyes for five seconds and not have to constantly vig- you know, maintain vigilance over this child. And that's when I, I, felt, I started to fall asleep, listening to my child play in the, in, the, uh, in the sink, in the bathroom sink, filling up the bathroom sink and filling it f- full of toys and little toy boats and that sort of thing. It was a delightful thing to hear. Eh, nothing's going to happen. And just as I'm falling asleep, I hear the hairdryer turn on. <laughs> and I have never moved as fast in my life as I did waking up and running in and seeing my son with the hairdryer on, putting it through almost, you know, inches from the water. Mm. And, I, and I, I didn't tear it from him. I calmly took it away from him and I turned it off. And I'm like, what's going on? And he said the boats needed some wind. Boy, oh boy, you dummy, you almost killed yourself. <laughs> I didn't put it quite that way. But I was pretty clear he would have died if that hairdryer had made it into the water. Now, what's the difference? In one case, you know, any parent will say, um, you did some, you know, you're, you're, a lot of people I think would say that letting my daughter at the age of almost 12 handle an over and under rifle it was not. It was not a thirty out. Whatever. It was not a big one. It was a little one, right? It was for kid size, right? But even so, we'll be really upset that I did that. And it was a dangerous situation. It was beyond my gut comfort level. And then the other story is me establishing my gut comfort level is pretty good and realizing there's there's unpredictable danger at any given moment. The moment you close your eyes, no matter how comfortable you are with the situation, it can turn deadly. Huh? What's the difference between the two stories? Well, in one, my child was dealing with danger in a supervised environment, indeed a super heightened supervised environment, because not only did the did the the manager of the skeet shooting range uh, uh, have obviously his you know years of experience and also his job and sanity riding on the on the on the assurance that no one was going to get hurt, especially children. But also, I was there watching every second of the of the of the incredibly dangerous thing that my daughter was doing, and I don't regret it for a second because through supervision, training, and the sense of gravity we both gave to her as she lifted up that gun and fired it, that is itself the more powerful lesson. She's a terrible shot, by the way. I'm embarrassed. I was, that was embarrassing. I didn't tell her, but she'll learn. She'll listen to this eventually. And of course, the other situation was 
that I was not properly supervising my child. And I thought I, I thought I had it okay, but I wasn't, I was making the wrong call. And Jesse, you're right to be concerned about kids using chef's knives at the age of three or four, not because they've, uh, an adept three or four year old couldn't necessarily handle it. I think it's a little bit. My gut feeling is even in a one on one situation, that's going to require 100 percent attention. But certainly in a room full of three or four year olds and a, at a, at a, a child to a teacher ratio of, you know, five thousand to one or whatever, or even three to one. It's just it's not to me that would that would set off my alarm. But in a properly supervised environment, can a child cut some broccoli with a butter knife or a table knife, even one that is lightly serrated, even if the broccoli is incredibly mushy? I think that the answer is plainly yes. And the thing is, Pablo, you are presenting a bunch of different arguments, none of which are the argument that you really want to make. One argument you're saying is that it's intrinsically dangerous. Yes, it is intrinsically dangerous. But you look with your eyes, you hear with your ears, you look at that Colombian table knife and you appreciate there is, it is very, it would be in a very unusual circumstance in which a well-supervised child who is holding one end of a piece of broccoli and cutting directly down the middle is going to somehow slip and, you know, stab herself in the eye or your wife or whatever. (laughs) The other argument you're making is that knives are adult things, which is an argument that you have already, uh, you've already disqualified for yourself because if you were worried about the symbolism of a child using a knife, you, you've lost the battle because you're already letting her use toy knives indeed and plastic knives and everything else. It is true that not that knives are adult tools, right? But teaching a child how to begin to understand what an adult tool is, is part of every aspect of parenting. Saying to a child, this is okay to use, that is not okay to use. Helping a child understand this is dangerous will help a child, right, who is learning her way in the world to not merely bond with her mom or dad who's cooking with her, but to appreciate that knives are tools that can be dangerous and not crazy shiny magic that they want to touch and play with when they, when they're able to reach for the eight, eight inch chef's knife at Jesse's preschool, right? It teaches them a respect for the adult tool. And then the third thing I think is just that knives are scary to you or the whole situation just makes you uncomfortable. And here's where I think we get to the heart of the matter, right? Which is that you, I think what you really want to say is that probably cutting a, a piece of broccoli with a, a, a table knife under controlled circumstances probably is okay, but you don't trust your wife to do it properly. You don't trust no. your wife to supervise your daughter properly. That is what all this stuff about her being an intense cook is all about. <laughs> she's, I guess she's distracted and she's throwing plantains into hot oil and then she's setting fires and then she's deciding to change everything up or whatever. I don't know if any of that's true or not on a gut level. You, I think, are saying to your wife, I don't trust you to supervise this properly. And that's what you guys got to work out together. Because what you want is for us to be on the same page, not us, me, us, you two. You said, you know, the, 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 you want, it's important for us both to feel okay about it. And that's never, ever going to happen. 
Not exactly, because you're both going to have different gut feelings about any particular situation, just as you had a different gut feeling about, you know, how, uh, you know, how much handholding your daughter should receive when you're teaching her to walk at the top of a tall set of stairs or on a key or a jetty. <laughs> you have a different gut feeling. You're always going to have a different gut feeling. It's just the same reason why some people like Game of Thrones because they're smart and it's a great thing. And some people prefer Friday Night Lights because they're my wife. It's just that's how it goes. <laughs> but here's where I turn to you, Dana. I, I believe your husband. Mm-hmm. I think that you have an obligation to make sure that he feels comfortable with the level of supervision that you are giving to your daughter when you are cooking with her. And right now he does not feel comfortable. And I think that you need to do some work to make sure that he trusts you. I, I, I will. <laughs> All right. And the first thing I'm going to say is you cannot, you cannot just improvise a deep frying situation. <laughs> until you're, you cannot just say, you know what? Now I want to deep fry something. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, seri that's serious stuff. That's like building a fire. That, that requires your real attention, if only to get the food fried correctly. Never mind that the hot oil doesn't splatter on someone you love. So that has to be a much more controlled environment. And I would say if you want to help have your daughter help you cut things up and prep work and do some, do some sous chefing for you, that's great. Make sure that it is prep work. That is, that it is done with your full attention on her. Um, when there is no stove or fire on that will distract you or require your attention. Not because I feel that your daughter is going to turn into the little, um, what, what the, the little murderous doll from trilogy of terror. Look it up nerds, but because it will, it will help your husband adjust his gut level discomfort to your gut level. Comfort, discomfort, gut level. That's a long sentence. Okay, so I am finding the favor of I'm finding in the favor of Deanna and Matilda in terms of the cutting up soft broccoli with a dull knife. I think that knife is fine, <laughs> but I am ordering you to turn off all fires when that is happening. That is equally as important a safety lesson as teaching your daughter to use and respect a knife. And remember, always cut away from you. And curl your fingers in so you don't cut them off. This is the sound of a gavel. <laughs> Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Deanna, how are you feeling about the verdict? I think it's a fair verdict. I agree. Um, it's going to be hard. It's going to take a lot of effort on my on my side, you know, just to make sure that fire is off and Matt is just doing some prep. I don't know. I, it's, you know, sometimes you don't just have all that time, but I will. I will make sure. <laughs> How old do you think Mati has to be before you send her to Los Angeles to live with me and uh, cook all my plantains? <laughs> Um, about two more years, I think, you know, she has her visa already. So probably we can, we can work on that. You know, my son is a boy. We can just marry them off and get them, get her a visa that way. 
you know, it's easier. You know, an arranged marriage. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I was hoping for her. <laughs> All for the sake of broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> and plantains. Pablo, how are you feeling? Good. Did, did you guys talk about Mickey maybe having an amendment an amendment about mushy broccoli? <laughs> you know, you should you should you can put some uh, breadcrumbs on top and then run them under the broiler. It'll give you a nice a nice uh, change in texture. <laughs> but the verdict, Pablo. The verdict. The verdict. How do you feel? I feel I feel good. I, I mean, I know. Yeah. I mean, I think I think. Definitely, it's more of, a, of of how you do something than necessarily what is the end result. And I, I definitely agree with um, the fact that that worried me a lot more than maybe the specific specific point of Mati being able to use a knife or not. Um, and I think it's good to sort of, uh, I don't feel that bad. I feel... I feel it turned out good. Well, Diana, Pablo, Mati, thank you for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Thanks. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hello, Judge Hodgman. Ah, 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 ah. No, it's, Why it's not a threat. I'm just getting I'm just getting ready to cook. I, why did you distract me? I just cut myself with this very soft piece of broccoli that I was using to cut this mushroom. <laughs> are you? Have o- you ever been, are you okay? Have you, I, I'm okay. Have yeah. you ever been threatened by a knife, Judge Hodgman? With I, a knife? I've I, I've never been threatened by a knife, or with a knife. I I've have never sucks. I've never been walking with a knife at night when we've been threatened by a knife. Uh, nor has any knife come up to me with a knife in its knife and said, your money or your knife. And I didn't go, I'm thinking about it. Jack Benny. Most legendary, legendarily the longest applause break in, in, in comedy radio. When the legendarily cheap Jack Benny was approached by a mugger and said, your money or your life. And he paused and he goes, come on, man, your money or your life. 
because I'm thinking it over. <laughs> um, here's something from Evan, if you don't mind clearing the docket, Judge Hodgman. I don't mind. My friend Dane and I have a long-standing dispute over the short-sleeve button-up shirt. Dane contends they're totally unfashionable and solely for dorks. For reference, see the cartoon character Steve Smith of American Dad fame and Milton from Office Space. I feel they're a suave summertime option. As evidence, I present real cool tastemakers, Russell Westbrook, Suge Knight, and Josh Hom of Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, I'm sure that's a very long-standing dispute because all of your references are super old. Office Space came out 15 years ago this February. Josh Hom is... 40 years old, right? Rock and roll star, I guess, still, right? Yeah, but, I mean, Suge Knight's got to be 60. <laughs> yeah, but Josh Holmes, he's a, he's, a, he's a dad. He's somebody's dad now. You know what I'm saying? You guys, and I, I think I understand why you're so confused. You guys are probably also 40 years old. And you've also lost your sense of what's cool. You don't know anymore. You can't tell anymore what's cool. You're not qualified to say it. You have to read about it in magazines. And I'm not saying this to be mean to you. I'm just saying that our our sense of style, unless we work on it, really coalesces around what was okay when we were in our 20s, late teens, 20s, maybe early 30s. I'm still reaching. I still think probably a black mock turtleneck is an okay thing to do. I still think about the black mock turtleneck I bought at The Gap in 1992. And I'm like, this is going to change my life. It's like it's a work of constant vigilance to not put on a mock turtleneck, even though I don't even own any of them. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I want to go out and buy them, right? So that's why I rely on a couple of different things. One, uh, uh, experts like Jesse Thorne and, and two, Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs. <laughs> I, I didn't think I didn't even think of it in those terms. That's right. Of course, Steve Jobs. He stuck with a style for a long time until it became iconic. But it was still yeah, never still, really looked that good, though. And and no and and no one adore, adored and adores Steve Jobs more than I do, except for his family, of course. But I, you know, I I love him. And if he had asked me, which he never would have, I would have said maybe maybe a maybe a button up short sleeve shirt at some point. What do you think, Jesse? You're a you run a a, a, a men's fashion uh, web show and blog and Tumblr. And you know a lot about this stuff. It's called Put This On. Intrinsically, where where does a, a button-up short-sleeve shirt stand in your mind? Wow. In, if the question is intrinsically, I would say that I'm inclined to go with Dane and say that they are totally unfashionable and solely for dorks. But if we leave aside the question of intrinsically... Um, I would say that they're both right, and, and frankly, Evan is a little bit more right in a contemporary context than is Dane. It's definitely historically been something that is associated with people who who want who want to wear something that is appropriate for work, but want to wear the minimum appropriate for work, which is to say, dorks. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that, but that definition is so out of date because the minimum appropriate for work has been on a downgrade scale uh, year over year for a de- for two decades now, such so that dor- true you know nerds who go into work with a minimum, I mean, you're lucky if they wear shoes. Yeah, exactly. No, I I, I agree. That's why I say historically. 
Um, however, I would say that in the past few years, uh, they've made quite a comeback along with uh, things like, uh, you know, the Ray-Ban Clubmaster sunglasses um, that are signifiers of quote-unquote geek chic and in the appropriate fabric and fit um, are reasonably contemporary. Although that in and of itself is, is probably past, slightly past its peak, um, though I wouldn't say past its sell-by date. Yeah. Um, I think, here's what I think. Uh, you should go with something reasonably contemporary. You should concern yourself with with uh, fit uh, and style. Don't wear anything too big or too small. Does it look good on you? Looks good on you. Then it, it doesn't matter. You're 40 years old. You, who cares what Dane thinks anymore? Forget him. Dane is the past. You are the future. <laughs> <laughs> I I would say if if you aren't confident about wearing that garment, uh, you can always wear the, a traditional Oxford cloth button down shirt, which is uh, you know usually these shirts if they're not that kind of white cotton poly blend like Milton from Office Space wears, they're cotton Oxford cloth. I would say just wear the long sleeve version and, and roll the sleeves up. Uh, it gives you the same effect, but without being quite so affected. I said, "Go!" I said, "Go! F- go for it." You th- do you think he should? Uh, do you think he should wear the ghost tie, which is to say, button all the way up to the top? There's another no. trend that came 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 right along with it that uh, uh, that is also uh, somewhere in between its peak and its sell by date. Well, that's not a look that I I would like, but what I don't know anything. You know what I mean? But I bet you. Uh, well, you know, mock turtlenecks. Intri- I know. Intrinsically, that that to me makes me feel like that's that's you're going too far. At that point, you are you are you're going too meta with your shirt. Instead of just wearing a shirt that looks good and makes you feel good, then you're then you're going too far. But if it looks good on a person, I'm going to say that looks good on that looks good on that person. I don't are think you're going to say. It? I don't are think you're going to say it in that voice, like that sort of like slightly. Slightly excited voice, but um, like yeah. tamped down. Oh, yeah, that looks good on that person. That looks good on Evan. Evan knows how to oh, wear that. Evan, you look good in that shirt. Evan, you look good in that shirt buttoned up to the top. Oh, I like that mock turtleneck. You look nice. I say, uh, the reason this is on my mind is because I, I, I'm, tr- I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get some old things out of my closet and put some new things in there. And what I'm realizing, the real thing that you need to do is the one thing that I have always hated doing the most because I hate touching and feeling my body, which is try on clothes. You try on a lot of clothes. Things that look good and feel good are immediately apparent. Uh, you can develop taste and you would do, you do worse than by going to put, put this on and putting on whatever Jesse tells you to put on. But you do a lot, you would do a lot worse if you just read a lot of fashion advice and bought, and bought that stuff blind over the internet and started wearing it around like a dum-dum. Try things on. It's the first step to developing your own sense of what what looks good and feels good on you. Is that wrong, Jesse? I think that's fair. Try a lot of clothes on. Here is an audio update from Chris and Sophie from the case The Right to Remain Silent. If you don't remember the case, uh, Chris was Sophie's father and was trying to get her to come out of her shell 
And he wanted Sophie to read some of her poetry at the coffee house at the college at which he worked. And part of Judge John Hodgman's decision was that Chris would have to read poetry at that coffee house. So um, that was they how recorded them. Yes, they recorded an audio update here and they sent us the text of the poems that Chris performed. Let's take a listen. Hi, it's Sophie. We're just checking in. My dad wrote two poems and he read them both and he did a very good job, but it's something I wouldn't do in a million years. And I've attached those two poems in an email, so feel free to, to read those and make them as much fun of them as you want. Um, Sophie's really looking for, forward to her next uh, celebrity spotting opportunity so she can put her uh, the, the role-playing activities she, she did with Eugene and Isabel um, into, uh, into action, right, So, mm-hmm. What celebrity do you want to meet? <laughs> she's not ready. Look, she's choking up again. All right, bye-bye. She couldn't quite bring herself to say Secretary of State John Kerry. It's every girl's dream. He's a silver fox, that JK. <laughs> I once was on the one time I ever spent any time on Nantucket. The one time I was ever in Nantucket. I was e- I was eating dinner in a restaurant. And I looked across and there was John Kerry, which already took me by surprise. And then I realized he was actually sitting there at dinner with a powder blue cable net sweater tied around his shoulders. Yes. <laughs> You bet he was. <laughs> and this was not long after, well, it was, it was actually quite a bit long after he had he had failed in his bid for president, but he had clearly stopped thinking about ever running for president again and was now ready to come, essentially come out of the closet as the big prepster that he is. That's like running into Jesse Helms at a rib joint and he's wearing a string tie. <laughs> So did That's we hear gorgeous. the poem or not? We they didn't record the poem, but I can I can perform a dramatic interpretation as I imagine he performed it at the coffee house, if you like. Wait, we didn't get a recording from the coffee house. Well, they probably don't allow recordings in the coffee house, and they don't want those bootlegs to get out there. All right, here's what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna say. Let's put both poems up on the website for people to read. I want I would love to hear a dramatic reading from Jesse Thorne to end the end of the show. And then I want that guy to go back to the coffee house and re- and do it again and record it. I need to hear that. Judgment has not been served yet. Do we have to say anything before you read any poetry, Jesse? I would like to say that uh, thank you to all the folks out there who bought Max FunCon tickets. Max FunCon is officially sold out. So hey, if you'd wow. like, if yeah, I know, isn't that amazing? If if you'd like to come, we always get in a few people off the waiting list, um, uh, just because of the way the numbers of performers and presenters. Uh, come around and stuff like that. All, all you have to do to get on the waiting list is email your name and your daytime telephone number and the number of people in your party to waitlist at maximumfun.org. Um, waitlist at maximumfun.org. Let us know. And if the number in your party, let us know whether or not you're a couple, um, as, as in gonna, sharing a bed. I'm just going to type in that I, I'm, I would like to be on the waitlist, and my name is John Hodgman, and my party is 35 people, and we're all a couple. Mm. Okay, I mean, I already announced that you were coming, so I guess oh, so I'm just going to have to clear out room for that extra okay. 34. And you have room for my 34 polyamorous cuddle puddle partners? 
I, I guess I'll make room. I mean, I don't know. I'll do what I have to do. We have, we have, we have sleeping bags and sleeping mats. Uh, here's, here's the poem. It's uh, called The Judgment Not Wanted. Two litigants sitting on a bench of wood, a favorable judgment not to be had by both. Nervous to be sworn is as we stood. Make my case as best I could. Steering clear of legal undergrowth, would the judgment be fair? I surely thought I had the better claim. Would the judge see where, on this day, my arguments were not just there? It is too bad the court and I didn't feel the same. The prosecution, a mighty fine case before the judge lay. The case against me laid out in white and black. Oh, I was not to win the case this day. Knowing a judgment against me was on the way. I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two litigants sitting on a bench of wood, and I, I lost the case and was sentenced by Judge John Hodgman, who hoped to make a difference. It's derivative of both the, the road not taken and the uh, William Carlos Williams' uh, uh, two plums I ate in yellow wood or whatever, and they were so cold and sweet, so I'm sorry, and that made all the difference. I need a recording. You know what they say on, you know what they say on podcasts? Rex or it didn't happen. And thanks this week to the person who named our case, Keisha Jenkins Duffy. If you want to name a future case, like us on Facebook. Just search for Judge John Hodgman or follow us on Twitter, at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. And of course, if you have a dispute, you may also email me at Hodgman at MaximumFun.org or go to MaximumFun.org slash JJ Ho. I review all of the cases personally. My website is JohnHodgman.com where you can find out Details about my sixth show, one-man show run at the Public Theater as part of the Under the Radar Festival this January. I'm terrified about it. It would be nice to see you there. Best show for life, everybody. Talk to you next time. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. Thanks. The Judge John Hodgman Podcast is a production of MaximumFun.org. Our special thanks to all of the folks who donate to support the show and all of our shows at MaximumFun.org slash donate. The show is produced by Julia Smith and me, Jesse Thorne, and edited by Mark McConville. You can check out his podcast, Super Ego, in iTunes or online at GoSuperEgo.com. You can find John Hodgman online at AreasOfMyExpertise.com. If you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. If you have thoughts about the show, join the conversation on our forum at forum.maximumfun.org and our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Judge John Hodgman. We'll see you online and next time right here on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.